Hey booze, welcome to Crime and Spirits, your one-stop shop for handcrafted cocktails, spooky stories, and all things true crime. I am your resident bartender, Suze, and I'll be teaching you all a new drink recipe at the beginning of each of our episodes. And I'm Bree, drinker of the drinks, and I write the stories we tell. So, what should you expect while listening to us? Well, good question. There's going to be some swearing. Oh, a lot of swearing. Probably some rambling. Definitely rambling. And most likely a lot of off-topic pop culture references. We specialize in Bob's Burgers and maybe Always Sunny. Definitely. But what do you want from us? We're going to be drinking. And hopefully you will be too. So come hang out with us each week. And if you want to spend more time with us, check out the description for the link to all of our socials. Let's buckle up buttercups and sip tight. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome back to another episode of Crime and Spirits. We are your hosts. I'm Bree. And I'm Suze. We are really excited about tonight. So excited. Super, super excited. This is going to be my favorite episode, yeah. I think. I can already tell. Probably. So we're going to be telling you guys some spooky stories. Tonight is all about highlighting some of the hauntings and local legends that we both grew up with. Ooh. And don't worry, there's still a dose of true crime in there for you. Since we are getting closer to our most favorite day of the year, and we live in a city that's relatively haunted, yes, absolutely. and somewhat known for that, mm-hmm. we just thought we'd get into the Halloween spirit a little early. And honestly, what better way than like a fun fall drink and some stories about vampires, witches, a crazy man with an axe, and of course, aliens. It's always the aliens. <laughs> I think of that guy with the crazy hair. Aliens. Yes. Oh, aliens. On that thing, the mm-hmm. history show. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And you guys, <laughs> we have a story to tell you really this quick. This has... <laughs> okay, it's not haunted, or is it? Right, honestly. But it is interesting. So Susan and I went to one of the sites that we're going to talk about, so mm-hmm. there is a super haunted haunted cemetery that's like giant right in the middle of Erie. We're going to get into it later in the episode, but long story short, there's a vampire crypt and a witch's circle that exists Among there. other things, yeah, they do do a Halloween walk around the cemetery, usually around this time of year. Yeah. We're going to check into if they still do it, but my mom's done it before and she said it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So there is some spooky shit going on yeah. at the Erie Cemetery. So it's been a few years for both of us yes. since we went to pay our respects. And so we went to go check it out today mm-hmm. and we did the thing. We saw the places. We did all the stuff. We, you know, made the we pictures for you guys. We parked a nice tree and it was kind of sunny out. I was like, yeah. oh, it's so peaceful and beautiful and what a nice walk we Perfect had. fall day to yeah. hang out in the cemetery. Until we get in the car. Suze goes to start her car. Guess what doesn't work? It's the car. My car. So it had been starting slow, but I'd been out of town and had sat for a while. It was chilly today. I was like, whatever. It's just whatever. Yeah, normal car bullshit. It's not feeling it, Fiona, you little jerk. <laughs> Turns out my battery died. Yep, sure it was did. <laughs> real fun when I called AAA because um, you know you get the automated Karen on the phone at first, <laughs> and then the guy from the towing company, who was very nice and very prompt, thank yes. you, I think his name was Chris, yes. I appreciate thank you. you, Chris, <laughs> uh, he gets on the phone and he was like, it says you're at this address, and I was like, yep, mm-hmm. it's the Erie Cemetery, <laughs> uh, I was like, we're parked in section 20, right by the little marker thing, I was like, we're outside the car, he actually drove into the cemetery, we saw him drive up by the vampire crypt and started waving, like, no, over here, <laughs> we saw him back down the road and come right over to us. And promptly rescued us. Yes. 
But while all this was happening, I called my boyfriend, Mark, who, if you've listened to us for a while, you guys met him, quote unquote, during mm-hmm. the Chris, Chris Watts episode. And I called him, and he is frantic because our car also died. What are the fucking chances, guys? He does DoorDash delivery, like, as a side job on the weekends and stuff, and he was out dashing, dashing, while Susan and I, you know, are being the content creators that we are now. We're working on it. And <laughs> I called him, and he's like, oh my god, like, the car just died. I was literally just about to call call you, and I looked at Sue's, and I was like, what do you mean our car just died? Literally, I was like, oh no, who'd we piss off? <laughs> so, we are in the mood. Yes. It's <laughs> felt like a very eerie, spooky day already, because guys... I ran so many errands today. This this episode's all about local. Yep. So I hit up local spots for like all of our products. Yep. T-shirts, booze, mead, the whole nine all yards. things. My car was fine the whole entire time until we got to the cemetery. Yeah. <gasps> Foreshadowing much? Right. Hmm. So we are definitely <clears throat> in the spooky spirit. So really quick, guys, before we get into things, while this is going to be, for lack of a better term, a lighter episode... There is going to be a quick warning because we are going to be discussing murder, an accidental death, and there is a suicide in this episode. Take everything with a grain of salt. 98% of it is all alleged, but I just wanted to put it out there. And you also, never know. Yep. It might be a trigger for some people. Exactly. Folks. I totally understand. We also briefly mentioned an animal dying. But there's no proof it actually happened, as it's just part of a ghost story. But still, again, that's something that would bother me, so I wanted to put it out there. No hard feelings if you guys aren't interested in listening this week. We will definitely catch you next time. And also, before we get started, we just want to reiterate yet again, again that by doing this podcast, we mean no disrespect to victims or the families of those involved. We do try to keep things a bit lighter and focus more on what we can learn from the stories that we tell. Susan and I just have a really good time discussing things like how awful our justice system can be, and the rage it incites in us can be funny at times. It's true. It's more our reactions than the actual injustices themselves, in my opinion. And who are we to keep that to ourselves? Exactly. And honestly, guys, if we can teach you a thing or two about how to make a great cocktail at home, then we've done what we've set out to do. So, we just love learning, and we love talk, like taking you on that journey with us. And if you like what you're about to hear, you already know the drill. Make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Crime Spirits Pod. So, I've got the stories locked and loaded. Woo. Now, we just need our delicious drink. And you guys, we really did our research. We really did it last weekend at it's Wine true. Fest and we did sure our research did. for you. We did. We worked <laughs> real hard at it. Um, so, welcome, welcome, everybody. Um, like I said before, we are fully immersing ourselves in Erie, so I hit up all the Erie spots I could possibly find. <laughs> well, not all of them, but a great number of them that yeah. I frequent and that we like. Um, I was going to be super ambitious and make like a drink for each legend, but I was out of the country last weekend, and mm-hmm. I've been sick, so and fancy. it just has not happened. Um, so we are making an Erie smash, but to start with. Usually we sip on some good old box wine while we discuss the case (laughs) once we're done with our specialty cocktail, of course. However, this week we're sipping on some delicious mead from local mead hotspot Ironstone Meadery. Hey. We love you guys so much. Um, I have been there a few times. The first time I actually found it by accident with some of my friends. Our friend Bud was hosting a birthday party for his daughter Anastasia at a playground um, at the Green Township Playground. It is a beautiful playground. If you have kids, I would highly recommend it. 
It just happens to be right near the Green Township building, which just happens to house Ironstone Meadery. Yeah. So we found it by accident. There was a big sign that said Mead this way, and we were like... Yes, please. Okay, great. Let me... It's literally right in the building, the first door to the right. You cannot miss it. This is how we're going to get kidnapped, though. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. because it basically looks like, you know, an empty township building, but... It their really vibe is very cool. They're very into the Vikings. Mm-hmm. They will tell you all about their mead. Their stories are wonderful. Um, Bree and I saw them at Winefest. Yeah, for the, the last, last two years. Yeah, last mm-hmm. year. They even decorated their booth to make it look like a ship. It's true. I fucking love it. The it creativity. Was- it is. And like I said, if you have questions about Mead, hit them up. Their booth was definitely one of the busiest ones at Winefest. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you not in the know, Mead is not wine, as they will tell you. It is actually fermented honey, which is further enhanced by adding fruit, spices, grains, or hops. Today we are sipping on, LOL, it's called <laughs> Quickie. Yeah. And it's just a traditional Mead. But can I say, it's fucking good. Mm-hmm. But it literally, the label has two horses doing enamored it. with each other yes <laughs> they're doing it um for our specialty drink this week which i'm calling the eerie smash eerie with two e's <laughs> um i also wanted to incorporate local liquors so i'm starting with limoncello from luminary distilling which we've used limoncello before it's a lemon liqueur it is one of my most favorite things in the world and i love luminaries it is so good um, they are a local distilling spot. They recently bought uh, one of the famous cider places in Erie called Furman's. Mm. Their location, their original location that was like 100 years old or something, burned down yeah. not that long ago. And they relocated to Upper Peach Street. I was devastated when that happened. I was never actually at the old cider mill. Really? Well, because I'm from the West County. That's so fair. we have cider and crap out there. That's you know? fair. My dad used to take us out there like at least once a season. And it was kids. like a big thing. But I guess they moved to Upper Peach Street. It really is not the same, I guess. Yeah. Comparatively. Um, I'm just happy they're still in business. It's good, absolutely. And Luminary was one of their neighbors in that plaza. So Luminary bought them out, moved into the bigger space. They kept Furman's Cider, which I bought some of today. They also kept Furman's Baked Goods, which are phenomenal. And then they added a food menu and a bunch of cocktails. They use local ginger beer from um, Erie Brewing, or whatever the one in the train station is. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That one. They oh, use, wait, the brewery. Yeah, the Brew Erie. Yeah. They use mm-hmm. their local ginger beer and all of their mules. It's a big thing up there. Um, but like I said, my heart has always been with limoncello. Oh, it's so good. They do have one made with tangerines, which is one of my new favorite things. Ooh. But I don't think it would have been good in this drink. Mm. So we're sticking with limoncello. Um, next up on our local tour, we're using gin from Altered State. It's called Black Bear Gin. It is organic, if Ooh. that's a thing. Um, this is a distillery on West 8th Street in Erie. They're located in a new-ish plaza that took the place of one of my beloved bars, the Green Garden Tavern. Mm, yeah. Don't be too sad, though, because Altered State and the other stores in the new plaza, including Pressed, which is a Ugh. cool coffee bookstore my hybrid. most favorite coffee place. That's where I actually got some of the source material for this mm-hmm. episode. Um, and Pop Luck, which is a cool custom popcorn oh, store so that good. has a focus on local. Um, they really hold it down there. Um, if you like little noshes or smoked cocktails, Altered State will have you covered. Um, fun story, during COVID, they had a drive-thru, <laughs> and they offered their adult slushies in the drive-thru. So Ooh. I definitely hit them up during COVID a couple yeah. times, because Frontier Park's right across the, yeah. the way, so Bud and I would take our little slushies and go walk around or whatever. It was good. All right. <clears throat> so now, anyways, after that long tangent... <laughs> 
How do we make the drink? Back to the drink. We're taking the gin, the limoncello. What you do, first things first, you model four to five blackberries, depending on their size, in your shaker tin. I like blackberries, so I went with more. You can go with less, whatever blows your hair back. Mush them up with your muddler. Add ice to the tin. Next, add one and a half ounces of your gin, and then one ounce of the limoncello. Shake that all up really good. You're gonna wanna strain it because blackberries have big ass seeds, so mm. you don't want a bunch of those floating around in your drink. Strain that mix into a rocks glass filled with fresh ice. Top that with some tonic. We're using diet. I just like the diet better. I don't know what it is. It's just my preference. I don't know. I don't have Bree a Bree doesn't tonic, have a preference, so. <laughs> so. We're going with diet. Just top it with some tonic. If you want to leave the tonic out, you can do it as a martini. It would be good that way also. Um, you just garnish this beauty with some fresh blackberries, and I went fancy with an edible flower, and that is your mm, eerie smash. Good. Let me know what you think. Ooh. That's good, right? That is good. Mm -hmm. I was a little, not worried, that's not the right word, <laughs> but like apprehensive when we smelled the gin, because mm -hmm. generally... Susan and I don't care for, like, the super juniper region. We like the more, like, the more floral, herbal like, floral, citrus mm -hmm. stuff in that sense. Uh, but this is good. It goes really well together. Yeah. And I did not test this drink out beforehand because, like <laughs> I said, I literally just picked everything up today. So yep. <laughs> right we're doing good. We got our mead. We got our drink. Ready to party. Okay. So first yeah. stop, guys. Aliens. Aliens. So I didn't know this, but apparently Lake Erie is a magnet for UFOs. Yeah, I didn't really know that either. What? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. There have been all sorts of sightings, but the most notable took place in 1966 right here in good old Erie, PA. On July 31st of that year, there was a group of people that drove in from Jamestown, New York to spend their sunny, sunny, sunny day at Presque Isle. Jamestown is like an hour away. Maybe. Yeah, if that. Um, so, for those of you who are not from around here, you will not know the significance of Beach Six, but oh, that is the beach. the beach to go to. They've every, got, like, the music from yep. the radio station and the fancy snack bar yep, and all that and the volleyball shit. courts mm -hmm. and all the things. And if you were going to the beach when you were from, like, I don't know, 13 to 25 right you were going to beach six absolutely now in my 30s i went away from all the people yes mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as i can get so this is the beach that they were at on this day there was six people total douglas who was 18 betty jean who was 16 gerald the bell who was 26 mrs anita halfley who was 20 i just love that that was like i know the key they had to specify that she was a mrs <laughs> right and she also had her two young children, Sandra and Sarah, two and six months old, respectively. So they spent their whole day at the beach, but as the sun started to go down, they started to pack up their belongings, headed back to the car. When they began to drive off, began to try to drive off, they found they couldn't go anywhere. They were completely stuck in the sand. For locals, again, they were literally parked where the volleyball courts currently stand, so... And you guys, like, for those of you who have no idea the area that we're talking about, it the whole parking lot, it, parking lot is a generous term. It's For true. what we're talking about. The gravel flat area. It, is it flat? Because I feel like it's there's just, like, <laughs> like fucking... It's true. Like, just holes. Deep, deep holes everywhere. Lose a tire pothole. It's, like, just... <clears throat> The Thunderdome, trying to get in and out of that parking lot. Especially when it's busy, yeah. And it's all sand. It, there's very little concrete. There's very little, like, any sort of, like, stable 
thing underneath Surface the ground. to stick yeah. onto, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. So, of course, they tried everything they could think of to get their vehicle unstuck, but it just wasn't budging. So Gerald decided to hitch a ride with someone else who was leaving the park in hopes that maybe he could find a tow truck to bring back with him to rescue everybody. So... At the end of every day, state park rangers make their way around the park to ensure that everybody is making their own way out of the peninsula because you can't be there after dark. Apparently, it's always been that way, too. Presque Isle (laughs) is a state park. Um, It's got different rules than other areas like this, I guess, is a way to explain it. So, on that day, there were two rangers, Ralph Clark and Robert Loeb Jr., they were making their rounds, and they came across, like, the remaining the remaining stranded beachgoers. They approached them. They were like, hey, what the heck's going on? Why are you still here? Once they get filled in, Clark and Loeb assure the group that, you know, if Gerald can't find a tow truck, by the time we make our way back around, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Because, you know, like, my brain immediately is like, why didn't they just, like, call a tow truck? Right. Okay, first of all, there's no service out there. <laughs> Second of all, it was the 60s. Well, that's... I was like, oh, yeah, so it's not like they had payphones right. on the beach. Exactly. I feel like they didn't. We just Maybe got, at the ranger station, we but... We just got bus stops down there, like, a year ago. Last year. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was right before COVID, actually. I think so. Um, so, around 9.30 p.m., the group saw something unusual. So, keep in mind, the sun had set that evening at 8.41 p.m., so it's basically fully dark out, if not dark, dark. When this takes place, the witnesses, everybody but Gerald, because, you know, he still wasn't there. He's out and about. (laughs) They said they saw a large and luminous mushroom-shaped craft appear in the sky. It had a narrow base that rose into an oval structure with bright lights on the back of the craft. What we will refer to as a UFO moving forward approached the area from the north, briefly hovered between the trees, and then landed. Creepy. Right. Betty Jean described the moment, saying, quote, We were sitting in the car waiting for help. We saw a star move. It got brighter. It would move fast, then dim. It came straight down. The car vibrated. I know we saw it. We had taken a walk in that area earlier. There was nothing between those trees then. All of a sudden, it was just there. End quote. Creepy. Fucking weird. She also said that the light coming from the UFO wasn't anything insignificant either, that it lit up the whole woods in the path. It wasn't like a searchlight. There was light along the ground, along the whole path. That was a direct quote. It was very bright. Right. Soon after this thing landed, the park rangers arrived back on the scene. Still no Gerald. Where are you at, Gerald? (laughs) Once they pulled up, the lights from the UFO immediately shut off, the area plunging back into complete darkness. Everybody in the car is pretty freaked out, understandably so, and they immediately inform Clark and Loeb of what they just witnessed. So Douglas offers to show them where the thing is located, and the three men head into the woods, and the ladies just remained in the car with the two little ones. <laughs> However, they weren't alone. That's, long. This is how horror movies begin. Literally. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I was like, am I reading an episode of The X-Files here? Honestly, like, I had to triple read it because <laughs> I didn't believe this happened in Erie. Same. <laughs> Um, so they see a large shadowy figure emerge from the woods, the exact place, in fact, that the others had entered from. This figure began to walk directly towards them. At first, they're thinking that it must be an animal of some kind. We do have, like, larger birds, like cranes and things like that, that have their homes out there. Well, and it's, I've heard of people seeing bears and stuff, like. And back then, who knows? Right. It was even wilder than it is now. Exactly. Exactly. But that quickly 
was just not a thing for them anymore once they saw the sheer size of this thing. It appeared to be well over six feet tall and covered in hair. Ooh. Right? So this is what really freaked me out. This creature began to circle the car and slowly made its way closer with each pass until suddenly it was right next to the car and began scratching and clawing at it. No. The girls screamed their faces off. They were absolutely terrified. And, of course, they wanted to get, like, the dude's attentions from the woods. Well, so they yeah. frantically start honking the horn. And this was enough for the, the creature, whatever it was, to make its way back to the woods. And then suddenly, and very quickly, the UFO just took off. What? Right? Guys, alien. It's aliens. What? I'm going to spike my hair up all crazy. <laughs> so uh, the three men hear the frantic honking. They come rum- running out of the woods. It, but it did take them a few minutes. Apparently, they were pretty far back in the woods. Um, and they rushed right up to the car. Betty Jean and Anita were so shaken up that they couldn't talk at first. Um, the officers decided to take everyone to the ranger's office. Basically, just like, goodbye, car, we'll be right. back tomorrow. You are tomorrow morning's problem. See you later, bye. Um, it's at this point, though, that things take a bit of a turn and become a much more serious situation. The rangers called in some reinforcements after the girls were able to finally get out what, what had happened, like get their story out. It didn't take long for heavily armed patrolmen to come and assist the rangers in their questioning of the witnesses. By the following morning, both the state police and the United States Air Force. (laughs) You guys, the fucking Air Force. Right? They don't just call them in, like, for funsies. Like, hey, we're bored. Right. You want to hang out? Want to come help? Want to go and, like, check out this, like, UFO sighting? Um, so they're all on scene, and they're starting an investigation. And let me tell you, they found some shit. Tell me about it. Right? <laughs> Officers Paul Wilson and Robert Canfield began with the car and the surrounding area. One of the first things they saw were some deep scratches on the car. Hmm. Weird. Um, they also found strange impressions approximately 350 to 400 yards away from the abandoned vehicle. There were two of them set about 10 to 12 feet apart. They were diamond-shaped, about 18 inches wide, and went as deep as 8 inches into the sand. So that's huge. Right. For those of you that don't know, like, that's Mm -hmm. giant and very deep, so it's got to be something big and heavy. Right. right? Especially with, like, the way that they were, the pattern. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Those were in a triangular pattern that was set about 11 feet apart from each other. So, so triangular, that to me, it sounds like a tripod, which means that it was likely something that landed there. Yes. That's what I think. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Where is Scully and Mulder? Yeah, right. My grandmother was obsessed with the X-Files. I never understood it. I've watched like three episodes. Oh, okay. I really like it, and I feel like you might actually really like it. If you look at it from like the campy kind of thing. That I can get down with. Yeah. But my grandmother, she loved it. She paid money to go visit the set, and she had like a brunch with Jillian Anderson. And like I have a picture of them together that was like signed from like, it was a whole thing. After my papa passed away, she was like, Diving right on in. Oh. She was like, aliens are a thing. <laughs> so this was, like, very nostalgic for me, not only because of, like, living here. Well, and I, I don't know. It could be, it could be a hoax. We're not sure yet. Right. That's a lot of work. And in the 60s, I feel like people didn't. Because <laughs> they also found, so there were other, like, tracks that they found, essentially. So when they started to survey like the surrounding area of the car like a little bit more into the woods 
they found large tracks that led directly to the car. They were conical in shape. They were about eight inches wide and they went about five to seven inches deep into the ground. Which, so, like, what the fuck was that saying that right? was walking towards them that could have done this? <laughs> Bigfoot, but I an have alien. questions. <laughs> right? If you, if they also started going along the path that was illuminated by the UFO, and investigators found unusual hairs located at an unusual height across an unusual width of trees. So, basically, what that means, guys, is that they found hair, like... Where there shouldn't be hair. Where there shouldn't be hair. <laughs> like, it... And from what I understand, the hair itself was also something that was not from a human. Right. Like a human person. (laughs) So this particular find lent credibility to Betty Jean's description of the creature that they had seen that night. So the Air Force completed their investigation into what happened, collected all of their evidence, and completed a thorough analysis. They officially deemed the case (laughs) as unexplained and added it to the Project Blue Book, which is... A project initiated by the U.S. Air Force in the 50s that was dedicated to investigating UFOs. That's... Did they have a stamp made that just said unexplained? I really hope so. <laughs> like, if, call it good. If TV has taught me anything, they absolutely oh, did. Oh, <laughs> goodness gracious. So, after some time and with a renewed interest, thanks to local television, a television news segment, someone came forward with a possible explanation for what may have happened. This person, who was a young boy at the time, said he launched a papier-mâché hot air balloon from his home located at West 22nd Street in Erie that very same night. Authorities looked into it and concluded that it was pretty much impossible for a paper balloon toy (laughs) to have made it from its launching area to the beach that night. The weather conditions just did not allow for it, not to mention the discrepancy in the sizes of the objects in question. One is a giant mushroom, one is a papier-mâché hot air balloon. papier-mâché Right. No. Uh, This sighting was supported by other eyewitness accounts, all reported seeing a silver round craft with lights flying or hovering in the air. These people were all in different places throughout the city, too, which effectively basically debunks the toy hot air balloon theory. This case remains officially unexplained. But the United Air Force, States Air Force, got rid of Project Blue Book, correct? I like believe it done. closed out in like the seven, yeah. or the 80s maybe, Something or maybe like even that. the 90s. They definitely shut it down. <clears throat> yeah, which, I mean, makes sense. But as as it remains, you may see aliens out on Beach 6. Honestly. They'll be there after dark. <laughs> well, and then I, Suze let me borrow the book that she had used to source a lot of this information. And as I was reading it, apparently there's this like big theory that there could be, like, a UFO base under, <laughs> like, the, lake. under the lake. <laughs> yeah. But there's been sightings all over. Like, you can see, like, Erie from places in Ohio, places right. in New York. And there's been, I mean, honestly, we could spend an entire episode just talking about the amount of sightings Aliens. that there is. <laughs> but, like, this is the notable one and what happened well, here. Well, it was a big deal because it was in the newspapers. Yeah. They had pictures of, like, the park rangers pointing at the imprints, like, the whole nine yards. The Air like, Force was here investigating it. It was that a big was... fucking deal, yeah. guys. So, that is the aliens. Next up on our list is the legend of Axmeter Hollow. This is one that's nothing more than a bunch of ghost stories with very little to back anything up, for the most part. While there haven't been, like, any official murders in the hollow itself, there's a lot of people who have visited the spot over the years and said to have experienced things out there. 
There are a couple different versions of what may have happened in the hollow located off Thomas Road in southwest Mill Creek Township. Which is now a subdivision. So this is one that I have grown up with my entire life. Mm -hmm. My friends and I have went out to the spot when we were in high school, and I may or may not have seen something. Yeah, we drove by it, but I wasn't brave enough to take the steps to hell or whatever it was. I didn't go into the woods, per se, but I didn't have to. Yeah, creepy. Mm-hmm. I'll wait till we get to that, to that yes. part. All right, so one tale consists of a jealous husband, because they always do, uh, who suspected his wife was cheating. The family had a farm in the hollow, and the husband had hired a few farmhands to help with the day-to-day operations. One day, the husband became enraged by his suspicion that his wife was cheating with one of his workers and decided he was going to do something about it. (laughs) Chased his wife right out of the house, down a rock path that led to a creek. There was a tree stump located right near the bank, conveniently, that he would often use to chop wood. This stump still had his axe sticking out, you know, from the last time he was chopping wood. So the husband grabs it and proceeds to behead his wife. Still acting out a fit of rage, he heads back to the house and kills the rest of his family. He buried the bodies and went on to live a lonely and isolated existence. However, he was not left completely alone. The spirits of his daughter and wife would go on to haunt him regularly. They ensured he lived in torment until one day he just couldn't take it anymore. And he again chased the two women out of his home carrying an axe. This time, though, he wasn't paying attention to where he was going and ran right off the edge of the cliff that was located about five feet from his back door and fell to his death. (laughs) Legend has it that the body of the man was found mangled and chopped into pieces with the very axe that was found lying beside him. The bodies of his wife and daughter were, however, never found, but their spirits remain haunting the woods. This is the version that I've heard. When I was in high school. Yes. I heard that one. uh, I heard it was gypsies. Mm, mm -hmm. She was cheating with the gypsy, which actually... We will... Cover, yeah. mm -hmm. Because we sort of put a full up... A a little post up on Facebook like, hey guys, give us any kind of info you have on these legends. And we got a few responses. Yeah. So there's another version of the story that the man killed his family because of the daughter's actions, that she was going to marry a man whom her father disapproved of, which back then was like the worst thing you could do, apparently. pretty much. So the young girl and her mother went ahead and planned the wedding behind his back. The mother had sewn a gown for her daughter to wear on her wedding day, and one day during a fitting, the father comes home early. The man is absolutely furious, screams at them about how he will not allow this wedding to happen. The women flee, hoping to escape. The husband grabs the axe, chases after them, and beheads them both. The legend says that the daughter's spirit remains roaming in the woods, still wearing her gown, eternally looking for her lost love. The mother haunts the woods as well, crying and moaning from the horrors she and her daughter had suffered. A third version of this specific story exists also, which is basically the one Suze told, but instead of falling to his death, he burned himself alive by setting the house on fire. And you guys, for the longest time in the hollow, there was a stone foundation that appeared to have been burned for years it's existed. It's true. Well, before the subdivisions took over. But yeah, it was the foundation and then stairs, right, that Mm -hmm. went down into the house. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking creepy guys. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, Axe Murder Hollow specifically was first mentioned in newspapers in 1945. An article was written about the Harbor Creek football team and what they had experienced while camping in the woods there one night, which I'm assuming is code for partying. You're right. <laughs> um, some of the players claimed that they had seen an apparition, heard maniacal laughter, and saw flashes of light. Like any good ghost story... These claims spread like wildfire, and before we knew it, Axe Murder Hollow had become notorious. People began to flock to it. Like I said, we drove by all the time. Yeah. Because what else did you have to do when you were 16 there was to nothing drive around? To do right. Until Back in you the day. were able to drink in here. Right. <laughs> um, people flocked to the hollow. They wanted to see it for themselves if it was haunted or not. Uh, it wasn't too long before more and more stories began to circulate, but this time... The ghostly figure featured was the angry axe-wielding farmer himself. So this next story is also another one that was really popular when I was a teenager. I've never heard this one. I was researching it and I was like, I actually prefer this one because sad, tormented daughters and wives makes me more upset than this. I heard this one first because what started it was one night we were talking about, we were just driving around doing dumb shit because that's what teenagers (laughs) do. And somebody was like, oh, we should go to Axe Hollow. If you stop your car there, your car will stall. Oh. Or if you drive slow, your car will stall. Like, a lot of your car getting stuck there. Oh. And then this is the legend that that comes from. Oh, okay. So, interesting. as the legend goes, a couple of teenagers went for a drive one night, which is something that people do, do here all Frequently, the time. Frequently, yeah. I still do it. Mark and I, like, we're, like, we're bored. Let's go, we used let's to go, go for a drive. When I was a kid, part of why we were out in the woods, not be necessarily because we were doing bad things, but mm-hmm. we would go deer spotting with mm-hmm. a big spotlight and look for deer. Yep. You can tell we live in a more country-esque area. So, this couple somehow ends up on the narrow road that runs along the creek in the hollow. It was raining pretty hard, and the car gets stuck in the mud. The driver gets out of the car. He tells his date, you know, lock up behind me. I'm going to go look for help. A bit of time goes by, and she suddenly hears some movement. There was sounds of a struggle, followed by a gurgling noise, and then some light scratching. It's always scratching. Suddenly, a bright light gets shown into the car, and she hears a loud voice commanding her to get out. Terrified and hoping it was the police. For once. She did. (laughs) That is when she looks up, and she sees that her boyfriend was hanging from a tree limb above the car. He had been killed. His throat slit, hung by the ankles, and one of his fingers lightly scratching the roof of the car. She runs away from the shadowy figure, screaming out for help. The man follows, one hand holding a light, the other a bloody axe. In some versions, she doesn't get away, but in others, she somehow makes it to safety. And when she returns with law enforcement, there's nothing there. Not even the abandoned vehicle. (gasps) Hmm. So is that why your car stalls? Legend has it. So they can get you. Yeah. My friends and I were always, like, too freaked to go, like, too slow. Yeah. But, like, we would kind of slow down. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we stopped, but I don't think we stalled. And my friend, just a little backstory: there was a big group of us who, I was one of the latest to turn 16, but mm-hmm. our friend turned 16 at the beginning of the school year. Oh. Like he had been held back Game or something. Mm-hmm. So he drove our friends, it was a 1970-something Chevy Malibu, <laughs> barf green, but it had huge-ass bench seats, so you could fit, like, oh, eight people. Oh, shit. So we would just all cram into the car and go, like, drive around. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds about Good right. Good times. But I'm pretty sure we stopped and nothing happened. My, I don't that know. I remember. No. 
I had a friend who kind of the same vibe. He was one of the oldest ones in the group. Yeah. And his parents were totally cool about letting him use the car all the time. So he would just like wrangle us all up. We would just shove into his mom's SUV and just like go drive around. I'm telling you, I miss the the Malibu. That was car was. I also had a friend in high school who had a Malibu. It was pea green. Hers was like a pretty red. It was a butte. Like a maroon, I think. Like, I wish I could have saved those seats and done something with them. <laughs> That'd be cool. They're comfy as fuck. All right, anyways. Um, there is an alternative version of the story because as we're learning, there's about 500 versions of mm-hmm. all of these coming up stories. This is the most convoluted, though. I think the yeah. rest of the stories after this are a little bit more straightforward. Right. Um, this one's a little new unique compared to your slasher slasher style legends uh one states it's a ghost of a gypsy king that has taken up residence in the hollow legend has it he had learned of his wife's infidelities while camping one night because they they moved about in caravans um and he cut off her head with an axe and hid it in the weiss library building that was located nearby intriguing because the weiss library building stands on the corner of the road that you would need to turn onto to get to where the hollow was before everything changed up there yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah around the turn of the 20th century there were tons of stories like these filling the newspapers because back then people were suspicious of people who were not like them right so that would be the Romani people. Uh, there were a lot of rumors that traveling camps of Romanis were causing mayhem wherever they went, allegedly abducting children and committing acts of theft, leaving a trail of destruction behind them. Uh, locally, there was a group that had taken up residence on the narrow road that you would that would take you to where the hollow once stood. If you went up there and trespassed, <laughs> you would be chased away with bricks and guns and a lot of curse words, which actually... My friend Max, mm-hmm. thank you, Max, for your input on thank Facebook, you, Max. said one time he had heard that the gypsy family of a murdered woman had supposedly had an affair with the member of the family that still lived on the street. Mm-hmm. So he yelled out the window, like, whatever, you know, you're a teenager. Yeah. Uh, brick slash cinder block came oh. flying at his car. And as he sped away, there were gunshots up into the air. And a man, a gigantic man, he said, chased him away on a dirt bike. Oh, shit. Um, he did. I'm sorry if I'm ruining your alibi, Max, but he did tell his mom <laughs> that it was a good old Pennsylvania deer that got the car and not a flying cinder block. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just had to add that because, wow, how fitting. I remember one specific night where a group of my friends and I, we were brave enough to get out of the car. Mm. Now, at this point, by the time I was in, like, later high school, there wasn't any, like, activity as often mm-hmm. up in that area anymore as far as like the Romani people that live there goes. So we went out to check it out and there was an abandoned house that we like walked around and then all of a sudden we heard like a lot of noise, like rustling noise. Like it sounded like somebody was like coming towards us. Like sprinting towards you. Yes. Ooh. So my ass who was not into creepy shit yet, <laughs> like ran to the car and all of a sudden everybody else did too. We drive off but I heard like poof, poof, like, I heard shotgun sounds as That's well. what Max said. It said, like, it was up in the air, he yep. said, but he wasn't sure, so he was, like, yeah. like, laying tire out of there. I can't remember for sure, but I feel like my dad said that he's had an interaction with them also. Oh. Like, this this part was very real. 
like very real these people existed they definitely were not okay with people coming into their area well and they were probably like dear god leave us be like Mm. we're not gonna harm you unless you're trespassing but what's unfortunate is that they just kind of cemented in what was happening because i mean honestly who knows like maybe maybe there's a little bit something to this so i've i've heard it's a saying i forget exactly how it goes but in any rumor there's always a grain of truth so it's like who knows might could be a thing absolutely (laughs) Now, there is a theory or two about where some of these stories could have come from outside of the whole uh, Romani camp living up there. First up, Billy the Butcher. He was the only person living in the hollow for quite some time. Billy was a mean old man that kids were absolutely terrified of. He had quite the reputation and people would go out of their way to avoid him, which couldn't have been too hard because right around the time of the 20th century turn, the area of Mill Creek there was like largely agricultural very few residents local writer aaron phillips did some digging into who billy the butcher could be and she concluded that his real name was william gack which what a name i know he's buried at that weiss library church there Mm -hmm. too allegedly maybe we should go there but park your car far far away hey i have a new battery (laughs) i'm good to go now right (laughs) so he was eight years old when his family settled into the area and began a farm when william was an adult there was a fire at the farmhouse everything but the stone foundation burned to ash weird Hmm. uh when he was ready william became a butcher and created a whole setup in his new residence So fast forward to 1922, two teenagers broke into his home and were caught red-handed by William, who held them until the police arrived. So Aaron's theory, and this really makes a lot of sense, is that the boy saw a large scary man who owned lots of cleavers and bloody aprons and kind of drew their own conclusions about what transpired on the property. I'm sure they embellished things a smidge. And of course, you know, they had to tell everyone about it. Which, and from what we read and from her research, he went on to live a full productive life. Right. He did get married eventually. And he was just like a regular stand-up citizen. But he was just a little... But also, who knows? You never know. Girl, you never know. That area of Mill Creek now, like, is very developed, but Honestly, even that was within the last 10 years. Right. It's been very Aggressively recent, yeah. so in the last five or six. Um, it still got that kind of country agricultural vibe the farther up you go. Right. Towards, like, the 90 area. My grandma used to live on Millfair right there. Okay. By, like, the church that was up there. Yeah. So super close to the area. Right. Hmm. Intriguing. Right? Weird. Um, so there is one actual murder that is documented that gets loosely associated with all of these legends. Uh, in 1963, a college sophomore was assaulted and killed one night by a man that she unfortunately went on a blind date with. Um, the cause of death was strangulation, and the murder itself occurred in Harbor Creek. But the man went on to try and hide the body in the hollow, perhaps to maybe be like... The ghost did it. Yeah, I think you know. he was trying to, like, pull some He tried shit. to cover it up, yes. Uh, the man was found by police very quickly. He confessed to the murder and let law enforcement know where they could find the poor girl's body. Um, it does feel a little bit wrong to bring a death like this up amongst all these legends and ghost stories, but it felt just as wrong to not give you all of the facts. So, there is that. Yeah. Um, and I do have one more live person who said they heard something uh my friend Erin, she said she was out delivering newspapers in the whispering woods subdivision 
She heard a woman screaming bloody murder because she was out delivering newspapers at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Is this Erin Randolph? That we worked From work, yeah. yeah. She was on the phone with her mother at the time. Oh, shit. And her mother heard it through the phone and said, oh, my goodness, are you okay? So it was loud enough to be, she did have her window down. But Still, like, though. It was loud enough to be projected. That's alarming. So we don't know if it was wife, daughter. I don't know. Mm. Somebody, hopefully Actually not a headless body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That is Axe Murder Hollow. Next up on our list is one of my personal favorite spots, Gungeonville Bridge. Me too. (laughs) Every person that I know growing up went to this bridge to hang out for one reason or another. Um, So we know that it was designed and built by a man named William Sherman, but we don't really know why, and we don't really know why he named it what he did. Um, It is on Wikipedia. It has its own Wikipedia page. It does. That is where I got all the pertinent information. (laughs) It was originally constructed in 1868, and uh, we haven't gotten into a lot of the historical stuff quite yet, but moving forward, you guys are going to kind of see a trend. Erie is old. Like, it's old as fuck. And a lot of stuff that transpired here of importance happened way back in the day. Like, one of our stories is going to circle around the War of 1812. So, old equals haunted 90% of the day. We'll go with that, (laughs) yes. So, this bridge was constructed in 1868. It was located in Gerard Township. People thought it was named for the fact that this bridge provided access to a gungeon factory. (laughs) What the, what is a gungeon, Brie? Please tell me more. So, I was like, the fuck is a gungeon? I know, I had to Google it. I thought it was just a made-up word. No, apparently it's a socket-like cylindrical fitting that is attached to one component to enable a pivoting or hinging connection to a second component. Do you have any idea how many times I had to read that to even understand what it was saying to me? There was one that said, like, it gave some specific examples Mm -hmm. of what would need to pivot. And I was like, ah, Mm -hmm. it was like shutters or something or like the other or the fin of a boat. And I was like, okay. Shutters... (laughs) I was like, ah, I get it now. (laughs) So this was a covered bridge. And it was a beautiful cover. It was so beautiful. It was a very popular spot for young people to party. It was, and likely still is, hella haunted. Like, I 100% had an experience there. I haven't actually been to the new bridge. I haven't been to the new one. My dad just went this past weekend and said it was underwhelming at best. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) okay, great. (laughs) I believe it. That's part of the reason why I haven't gone. Right. So there are all sorts of reports of hearing things, seeing apparitions, like all sorts of shit. There are so many instances of paranormal like things happening out there and we've got at least one confirmed story that has a confirmed death that happened at the bridge along with a couple legends that we're going to share with you guys which basically culminated into making Gungeonville Bridge like a totally locally iconic haunted spot. Because I know like we would always go down there and drive across the bridge really slow just to see if we could see anything. Uh My cousin Glenn actually said he was out there a lot when he was a teenager and he and another cousin, quote-unquote, helped the legend. They actually <laughs> dropped a scarecrow on a noose one night mm. from the top of the bridge during a party. That's asking for it. Bad boys. That's but I bet everybody it. at the party was scared poopless right? by that. Honestly, I would be. I was scared just reading what he said. <laughs> he also said one or a few good parties did happen out there. I'm sure. Eh, yeah, you'll have that. <laughs> All right, so this one is the, um, yep. 
the saddest one, in my opinion. Uh, I figured we'd start with, like, what really... It's this true. happened. True factual information mm-hmm. here. On April 19th, 1964, 10-year-old Darlene Marla Nicholas was walking along a cliff side with her mother. So, the bridge crosses Elk Creek, and it had steep declines on either side. Hypothetically, you could walk down it and make your way to the creek itself. Um, And this was where Darlene was walking and picking flowers for her sister, up on the top of the bluffs, if you will. Um, She wanted to get some moss from one of the tree trunks to add to her bouquet. And when she went to reach for it, she slipped because... It's April in Erie. (laughs) Yep. The cliffs there are made of white shale, which is not sturdy to begin with. And since it was springtime, it's always damp and dreary. Darlene lost her footing, maybe slipped a little bit. Either way, she wound up tumbling over 200 feet down to the creek. She did not survive the fall, unfortunately. Um, Darlene was found at the bottom of the cliff, face down in a small pool of water. The poor girl's spirit still remains allegedly, uh, haunting the bridge and the banks where she lost her life. People have claimed over the years that while on the bridge, they could hear the screams of a little girl and that they could see her walking the bridge on a moonless night or, worst of all, watch her reliving the fall. No, thank you. No, thanks. Uh, Again, this death is on the record. 100% did happen right next to slash underneath the bridge itself. So... So, in your visits you haven't heard or seen anything no i've heard like screaming and crying Mm -hmm. like out there before that's creepy it was it was very like obvious um myself and one other person out of the group heard it but the other people in the group did not hear it she was picking you because you're sympathetic right well and at this time like I this was like right junior or senior year of high school so I was starting to kind of question things in my own religious upbringing but I wasn't anywhere near like ready to admit that it was a cult and I needed out right so I don't know if it was just one of those things where like now as an adult that I'm exploring other avenues of spirituality I don't know maybe you're right maybe she was picking me I don't know because I also had a little moment with this next legend um this one dates all the way back to 1900 Erie has its own headless horseman which I never knew about like the headless horseman per se I didn't know he was headless. I knew that there was a horseman that was, like, haunting the bridge. So, I read headless. I read horseman. I don't know. We'll just go with headless horseman. I like the idea of us having, like, our own, like, what, Ichabod Crane situation. I love that movie. So, okay, great. (laughs) So, basically, this one, there were just some tales told that you could sometimes hear thundering hooves approaching and crossing the bridge when suddenly a black stallion with red eyes would appear. No one really knows where this one came from, but it's fun. And one time I was there with my dad as a kid, and I definitely heard hooves walking along the bridge. And that was, like, younger than when, like, I was in high school. Right. Because my dad, my dad was, like, really, I don't think my dad's, like, super into paranormal stuff, but, like, I think he enjoyed freaking us out. Right. I I see that with parents all the time. Like, you parents are probably like, how can I fuck with my kid? Yeah. <laughs> like, and so he took us out there, and I I swear to God, I heard horses. Hmm. Who knows? I was young, so I could have just been, like, impressionable. Right. Um, my dad actually said, during driver's ed. Ooh. Cause it, so it used to be, like, a dirt road. 
It might okay. still be a dirt road for all I know. But right. his driver's ed teacher would tell them ghost stories as they were driving down towards the bridge. Oh. And he'd have him, they would have, the driver's ed teacher, he said, would have them execute a three-point turn right before the bridge to go That's back. That's a really tight spot to do Yes, also. and it's a crown road with, like, a scary shoulder yes. with, like, a big cliff. And I was like, Dad, did he just want to, like, scare you guys? That was rude. And my dad was like, actually, I think he was just more concerned. He wanted to see what the fishing looked like down there. Because my dad's <laughs> just like, yep, <laughs> very stoic. And I was like, are you sure? It's not that he wanted to freak you out. Like, he was definitely fucking with you right, guys. Right. 100,000%. Uh, I can't imagine. I can barely do a three-point turn, let alone, like, on a scary... We're not going to talk about it. Scary, <laughs> haunted bridge road. I never drive anymore, so I feel like I'm losing my ability to do such things. I can't parallel park anymore. I can barely pull money out of the ATM. What am I good for? It's all right. Nothing. You're a good co-pilot, girl. <laughs> I'm a great co-pilot. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, the other legend... Th- this is the one I heard. Okay. Um, This one dates back even farther than the last one. It clocks in around the mid-1800s. There was a man from Kentucky, and he had to deliver a mule to a man that lived in Meadville. I don't know how these people got in touch. I just love that it was like, a man from Kentucky is delivering a mule. Like, that sounds like a joke. It sounds, (laughs) I I know, like it sounds made up. Yeah. Um, So as the man was crossing the bridge... Um, with the mule, he was startled by a sudden blast of loud music being played. Floating down the creek, guess what it is? It's barges carrying Dan Rice's circus, which included a calliope, which is a keyboard musical instrument resembling an organ that consists of whistles sounded by steam or compressed air. I had to Google what that word meant because I was convinced that your shit autocorrected. Because I was like, what the fuck is this even? (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know if I said it right, but I know it looks like a big organ with the pipes. Once once I had that broken down for me, I was like, yeah, I... I know I've seen one in Dumbo before. Yep. Uh-huh. I know it exists. And for those of you that don't know, Dan Rice uh, lived in Gerard, I think, or was Wasn't from he Gerard. he like the founder or something? Yeah, shit? he was a clown with a circus. That's why they have Dan Rice days every summer. Is I in his honor. honestly had no idea what the reasoning was behind that, but yep. that's interesting. Literally, my mom was like, don't you know about Dan Rice? And I was like, what, the festival? And she was like, the person? And I was like, what? <laughs> she would. Yeah. So, thank you, Mother, for teaching me. Yeah. All right. So here comes these big loud barges for no reason, apparently. The circus um, was in town, news. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was always in town. Uh, in one version of the legend, the mule is literally scared to death and he just drops dead of a heart attack <laughs> right then and there on the bridge in the middle. Uh, in the other version, the mule is scared and frozen and refuses to move. Mr. Kentucky was not thrilled about that and actually wound up beating the mule to death. No, sir. Motherfucker. How Honestly, I hope the donkey or the mule was just like, heart attack, that's less painful. Than I would be scared to death. to death also if I'm just crossing the bridge minding my own business. When a big, a, a, what is it? A calliope? What toot, <laughs> some toot zooting music comes by, scaring the piss out of everybody. Um, so either way, Kentucky buried the mule on the west bank of the creek and painted Gudgeonville, which just happened to be the name of the mule, what? on both entrances of the bridge. As the legend goes, you can still hear the poor little mule's hooves walking back and forth on the bridge, and sometimes you can even even hear him braying. So I wonder if I heard the mule. I hope. Because yeah. from what I understood, the headless horseman and the black stallion were like, he was like racing. 
Mm. Whereas the mule would be like clip clopping. He's just chilling. Yeah. Okay, so it's been a very long time, but if I really had to think, I would assume I'm pretty sure it was like a slow thing. So I'm gonna go with I've heard the mule. So it was Gudgeon. It was Gudgeon, Gudgeon the mule. <laughs> and well, I mean, honestly, I think that's kind of a neat way to like tie in the name of the bridge because nobody like actually knows how the bridge got its name. I would rather it be named after a mule than a part of a, a pivot part. <laughs> Yes. A pivoting piece. Pivot, pivot. Yes, absolutely. So, unfortunately. Sad face. The bridge that we know and love today is no longer. Asshole. For a while, there was consideration of plans to dismantle and rebuild the bridge because it wasn't wide enough to allow any kind of emergency vehicle except for cop cruisers no snowplow trucks which is very necessary especially in like a valley which was where it was yeah especially in our like little corner of pa like one thing that you guys if you don't if you live in the states but you're not from here you know us because we're the snowiest city in the country. True. Like behind every Buffalo. other year. Yeah. <laughs> like we're we're the very close second to Buffalo if yeah, we're not first. We trade off with them yes. sometimes. So the estimated cost for the project was a minimum of a hundred grand, and so the powers that be were on the fence about it. But before anything could happen with that, a couple of fucking asshats set fire to it on November eighth, two thousand eight. At around 1.40 in the morning. So, funny story about that, actually. Dun, dun, dun. I knew this dude. His name was Terry. He was, like, part of one of my friend groups that I hung out with a lot in high school. Um, he was hanging out with other friends that we didn't know that he had. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from him at, like, 2 in the morning. He's literally at Gunshinville Bridge as it's burning. And I accused him <laughs> of setting the fire. Me and my friends were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, Why would he be there at 2 o'clock in the morning? So he Allegedly. is not one of the two people that got arrested. and Because what happened was investigators ruled it as an arson and they began investigating. And then just over a month later, state troopers made two arrests. They were individuals that confessed to dousing the bridge in gasoline and setting it ablaze. And they were also suspected to be involved in other arson cases around the county. Douchebags. And we hate them. I um, love Gunshinville. Public bridges are so beautiful to me. Even if they're haunted, mm-hmm. they're still beautiful. Well, and the thing, like, with him, he was there. He was going to do what we all have done. Like, he was going there at 2 in the morning because, like, that's peak haunting time, right? Right, right. And he said that him and his two friends showed up. And it was, they were just, it was like on a blade, like fucking. On fire. Super on fire. And then the, I remember, to this day, I still remember the news segment because he was on it. And I was like, this little fucking dude, like. <laughs> <laughs> For a while, we didn't believe that he didn't do it until they arrested people. And I was like, all right, I guess you didn't do it. Yeah, I my friends and I would go and, like I said, drive across the bridge and stuff. Yeah. But I never saw any haunting stuff. I've never seen anything. I did I've have only... an early curfew, though. Yeah. Thank you, parentals. So, I haven't <laughs> been back since high school. Yeah. So, that's the thing we're going to have to put, like, late night. Mark's yeah. driving, though, to yeah. get the, <laughs> Mark's driving. the hell out of Dodge. For real. <laughs> For sure. Well, especially because, like, he's a fan. he knows how to get us out of yes. sticky situations. Out of everything? <laughs> Correct. All right. So <clears throat> that brings us to our next stop on the Spooky Story train, which is the place where Suzanne's car died, <laughs> the Erie Cemetery. We were almost stuck there. <laughs> 
God bless you, AAA. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, the cemetery was founded in 1851, and it is mother trucking huge. It's so big. It is beautiful, too. Uh, it takes up a lot of blocks in uptown area. It's from 26th Street, I think, down to 18th. Yeah, I think you're right. And then it takes up a whole city block of width. Yep. Um, it contains tons of crypts. It's your classic upright stone burial ground. Other than that, lots of gravestones and whatnot. Um, the crypts hold all of the rich industrialist elites that once walked our streets and many others that have been here over the years. There is one crypt in particular, though, that interests us this evening. Uh, it's said to be the home to a real, actual, honest-to-goodness vampire. Um, yes. Oh, this would have been useful. You can find <laughs> it on the hillside in Section S. I knew where to go. I knew where it was. Near West 26th Street. <laughs> Bree and I actually parked perfectly, like, in between both of yeah. the things we were there to see today. So, mm-hmm. we just knew by intuition. My stepsister, she's not my stepsister anymore, but when I was a teenager, we were pretty close for a while. We still kind of sporadically keep in touch today. But she's the one that actually introduced me to the Vampire Crypt for the first time. And let me tell you, it's a sight to behold. It's and I hadn't been there since. Because, uh, okay, so fun fact about Suzanne. <laughs> when I was in college, I spent four years doing my work study with the Erie County Historical Society. So, so cool. I worked at the Watson Cancer. <laughs> I worked at the Watson Curtsy Mansion. Which That's just hard to say. Is haunted and creepy. Yeah. And I was terrified to be the one that had to close which why would you trust an 18-year-old to close? But that's beside the point. I'm sure you were responsible. I was, as I sprinted (laughs) away after I shut off the lights because the monsters were coming for me. But um, they do a lot of stuff in downtown Erie. They do ghost tours and ghost Mm. walks and stuff. My mom did say there was a lady that knew her shiz that used to work for the Erie Cemetery, but she is no longer with us. My mom did the ghost tour, and she said it was amazing. This is obviously part of it. Yeah. Um, because it's fucking spooky. Like we said, so the crypt is set facing out from a hillside, basically. Mm-hmm. It's shaded by trees. It's the only crypt <laughs> in that one little area. It's yes. the only thing in that area. It's tucked into a hillside by itself, basically. Yep. There's no graves right near it. There's some above it, but they're back aways. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no name inscribed on the top beam, which is odd in itself, and it's unlike any other crypt in the cemetery. Instead, you see a lily flourish in the middle that sort of looks like the letter V. Some say it's a bat. Either way, that's definitely a vampire symbol. Like, yeah, 100%. Whoa. I watch what we do in the shadows. Yeah, I know what to look out for. We are basically professionals. Gosh. <laughs> um, so according to the legend, there once was a wealthy man that had fallen ill after a trip to Romania. Ooh, of course it's Romania. <laughs> that's it, where vampires are right? from. It wasn't too long after his return home that he died of consumption. (laughs) How strange. After his burial in the crypt in question, of course, strange occurrences started to happen. Things like dead bodies being found throughout the housing developments surrounding the graveyard, their blood drained from their bodies, and teeth marks found in their necks. What? Shocking! Um, Allegedly, one of the groundskeepers for the cemetery sort of figured out what was going on, And he just attacked the crypt one day. He set fire to it, removed the family name from the top of the tomb, and he was actually the one to chain and lock the crypt shut and inscribe the V as a warning to all who came near. And so we took some pictures today, 
And we, some good photos, so it was worth it, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got some videos also to kind of we tried to get up close because some of the detailing on the crypt is also very interesting. It is, and it also very much looks as if it's been scorched. Yes, and you can also very much tell that there was once a name where there is no longer. It's true, but they somehow managed to completely scrub it out of the marble without leaving any trace or limestone, whatever it's made it of. It makes me wonder if it was, like, something that was somehow, like, adhered to it and they, like, chiseled it off, maybe? I don't know. People, I have no idea how crypts people work. People love to carve shit into yeah. shit. Like, well, yeah, everything else is carved into the stone, Yeah, because you know? that V, that uh, whatever uh, symbol... Is carved into that the lily stone. my ass. Right. Okay. <laughs> Vampire is yeah. here is what that's saying. <laughs> Basically, it should be a neon. So the legend tells a story of a boy in the 1930s who broke into the cemetery using a crowbar and a chisel. He decided that he wanted to see the vampire for himself. And he was determined. Oh, yeah. He managed to make his way into the crypt, and what he found was a rotten wooden coffin on a slab with a desiccated corpse and a very foul odor. Ew, caca. I can only imagine what it was like opening that door and getting, like, that whiff of everything. Oh. Ugh, gross. I, oh, what, what, I think it's the mummy when he, like, oh no, it's Hocus Pocus when he yeah. cuts Billy's mouth open. Uh -huh. just, yep, that's what I imagined. <laughs> what that looks like is what that smells like, probably. Exactly. So, he was very surprised that he was able to get in and he wanted proof that he could show off because he knew that nobody would believe him. Because of course he did. Right. So he stole a ring. He took it right off of the corpse and he got the fuck out of there. The Don't next ever do that, friends. <laughs> Just for future yeah, reference. Yeah, honestly. The next day, the boy ran to his best friend's house. Or maybe that was that same night. I can't... The, the so details were a little muddled. I believe it was that night. So he left the cemetery. He went to the friend's right house. Right to his friend's house, yes. And he told him all about his late night shenanigans. Sworn to secrecy, the best friend told every single one of their friends. Because of course he did. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? Yes. Well, if you came to me and you were like, yo, bitch, I just broke into the vampire crypt. Here's a ring. Check it out. Like, Well, you know, I wouldn't do that for no. one. <laughs> but, but I'd have to like call up Lynn and be like, girl, we got to go see this ring. <laughs> You'll never like, guess what this bitch did. <laughs> so, they all wanted to go see for themselves. So the group heads to the kids' home in the next, like the next morning. Because I think that was the next morning. They yeah. were like, "Ooh, like, here we go! Yeah. Gotta go to Billy's house or whatever." Gotta make sure it's for real. His mom answers the door. He's like, she's like, you know, he's sleeping, but I'll go wake him up. Upon entering his room, however, she sees her son lying on his bed motionless, completely devoid of color. His eyes were wide open, and it appeared his mouth was frozen mid-scream. Mid-scream. And his ring finger seemed to have been ripped right off his hand. <gasps> his death, according to the coroner, was due to a heart attack. And I believe, as far as I know, they never found the ring. Yeah. Which leads me to believe it went back. To whence it came. I mean, <gasps> he took the ring finger. It right? was a symbol. How dare you wear it? <clears throat> All right. So there's a lot of odd things that seem to happen whenever people interact with or speak ill of the vampire and his crypt, which we're not knocking you, bro. We just don't no, understand you. No, we just you. wanted to hang out. Uh, as the story goes, a group of teenagers were partying there one night, which why the fuck would you want to do that? That's so disrespectful. It is. But those fences, the fences are old. They're old iron. They're spiky. 
I could see how you could like leap over one yeah. if you were so oh, determined. For sure. I, and the way that the crypt is set up, it sort of like hides it from everything else because of yeah. that hill. Yes. So okay, I, guess I guess I can see the appeal. <clears throat> so all these teens are partying, sharing legends of what could potentially be inside. One boy slash man mocked the stories. He climbed on top of the crypt. It was dark, so no one could actually see what happened next. But suddenly he shrieked and fell to the ground. <gasps> what? Weird, right? Right. He ended up in the hospital, and when he awakened, he just started screaming again. Uh, <laughs> the nurses scrambled to provide aid, but before they could, like, get to him, he climbed out onto the window ledge and jumped slash fell to his death. We're not quite certain. It didn't specify. But I feel as if he was not in control of himself right. in that moment. Possessed. If I'm inclined to believe the story. Possessed. Uh, other phenomena that take place involve a pack of ghost dogs that seem to quote-unquote guard the crypt. Um, people have had encounters with large black dogs that seem to appear out of nowhere and run right towards you, but vanish into thin air before they can follow through with their attack. Man, that but we didn't go at night. We went during the day. Yeah, because we're not stupid. It's <laughs> they just sapped the energy from our cars. Yeah, they didn't actually chase us with. I dogs. think I'm good. <laughs> I on know. That after today, thank you. We weren't even talking <laughs> shit. We were just in awe of how creepy it was. Yeah, even on a beautiful, peaceful. Maybe they mid-day. needed to prove a point. I don't know. Because here's the thing: the vampire isn't the only creepy thing about the cemetery. Situated in section 34 is a so circle creepy. of limestone graves that circle the base of an oak tree. So they sort of like embrace the oak tree because they don't yeah. necessarily circle it. I feel like the oak tree is like the start of the circle. I agree because when we were there earlier Seeing today, it a person we now. saw that there was actually like a little tombstone like that coming out of the tree. the tree. Perhaps? So I think the tree did its thing and was sort like, of no, took it over. This so is it my could spot. have been a circle before with that little tombstone. I'm wondering if that's what happened. So some of the tombstones there are weathered and worn down. Others are blackened as if they've been scorched and cannot be cleaned. And I'm telling you right now that that is true. There is two gravestones that are directly across from each other. Directly that are weathered in a way that is not the same as the other gravestones. So, according to local legend, back in the 1800s, Erie was once home to a coven of witches. Witches. Two of the leaders had passed away and were buried in this circle. It's said that when Satan returned for his servants, that the fires of hell scorched their graves. Other legends state that this area was where these witches liked to perform their rituals and that the tombstones were scorched that way, but I like the first one better. I concur. I also think it fits better. It does, especially given what we know now. Right. Um, There was once a practicing witch named Douglas Luther, which was proven to be correct. Yep. We saw it with our own two eyes. Uh, He was in a coven with a Michael Haverstick, which could there be a witchier name? I know, right? Um, Douglas died on May 13th, 1834. He was buried in the circle, joining his coven member, Michael, who had passed before him. That night, there was an unnaturally severe thunder and lightning storm like nothing Erie had ever seen before. The next day, it was discovered that the tombstones of those two men, and only those two men, had turned black and that strange etchings had appeared on other stones in the circle. In the area, people um, claimed to hear footsteps following them despite being alone. Sometimes they see a rabid black dog appear in the same fashion as the other ghost dogs. It all happens near the witch's circle. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't hear anything or anything like that today, but we were pretty <clears throat> in awe. It's true. Of it. It's a very, it is a very beautiful, it's very peaceful. It's in the center of the city. Mm-hmm. It's right by a hospital, but you would never know it. Yeah. It was totally peaceful, and it was a very nice day. It was windy, so maybe that yeah, I don't scared know. the ghost dogs away. <laughs> maybe. Maybe they were chewing the wires on my battery. Maybe. <laughs> and well, and <laughs> Susan and I have talked about this, you know, in regards to the podcast. If you guys have listened to us, you know that we try to go into all of this kind of stuff with, like, really good intentions. Susan and I do not want to offend anybody, living or dead. Right. And... You know, going into the same thing today, we were nothing but respectful and Absolutely. we were just in awe of what happened. And quite frankly, if there was witches that like existed here, that's fucking cool. I know. <laughs> like Absolutely. tell me more about yourself. I'm <laughs> I would like to chat. Yeah. So our last stop on tonight's ghost train is Misery Bay with a detour to Graveyard Pond. Ooh, so I've heard of Misery Bay, but I did not know Graveyard Pond was a thing until I started doing my research. So, this I think was this all is new to me. Super interesting. For those of you who don't know this about me, I fucking love history. <laughs> I'm such a history nerd. Before the true crime podcast began became a thing, I actually wanted to do like a history podcast, but I didn't who wants to listen to that? We could all always. If you ever want to listen to that, like, let me know. Out, right? Um, when I was, this is an embarrassing fact about myself, but I don't care. Um, when I was in high school and more middle school and like early high school, I would study. I had a whiteboard in my bedroom on like a easel, and I would study by like pretending I had to teach the lesson. Right. To somebody. Because that just helped me, like, understand it in a different way. And I've always been told that I should be, like, a teacher, but I fucking hate children, so that's not going to be a thing. So that's kind of where, like, the whole thing came. So we're going to do a little, very brief history lesson. Presque was heavily involved with the War of 1812. The U.S. got involved with the war because Britain was interfering with its desire to expand into other territories, impeding the ability to trade, and seizing seamen for... Who knows what? Uh, this is as good as mine. God only knows, right? So most people have learned about this war in the history classes, so I'm not going to get into much detail. We learn a lot more about it, I feel, because we're here. Right, exactly. All of well, our hazard don't give carries our dude, yeah. <laughs> Basically, what you need to know for this story is that Little Bay was situated amid the peninsula and was where Commodore Oliver Hazard Perry built hey. all of the ships used in battle. And if you know about this war even a little bit, that name should ring a bell. He's the one that I always think of like the disco statue yes. <laughs> in the Perry Square, Square downtown. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful statue Ooh, when you're we'll coming in We'll take a picture of it. We'll, but we'll it literally it. looks like John Travolta it in Saturday Night Fever. We'll do a daytime it. and a nighttime picture just so you guys get the full effect. Because the, the spotlight on it is especially wonderful. It's true. <laughs> so... Commodore Perry used Presque Isle as a pier, which gave him an advantage when it came to sea warfare. Perry was victorious in his battles and returned to Little Bay so the fleet could be repaired and the sailors could seek, you know, medical treatment. Adjacent to this area was the crew's burial site. We know it today as Graveyard Ponds. Winters here are rough, like really fucking rough. And that's today in twenty twenty. <laughs> so I can only imagine what it was like years ago. Back then when this area was not nearly as developed as it is now. During the war, the crew very much suffered from the poor living conditions. Little Bay became known as Misery Bay amongst the sailors that survived. 
Which I have heard of that. Yes. Graveyard pond, though. (laughs) All right. So in the winter of 1813, smallpox was running rampant, and the crew on the ship of the Niagara was no exception. They quarantined the men who were sick in the bottom of the ship, hoping to contain the spread, because this is literally, like, super contagious. Right. And pretty much deadly back then. Yes. All their efforts were in vain, as this did not work. Um, when the sailors would succumb to the disease, they were buried in the nearby lagoons. So it was winter time, right? The officers would have to chip a hole in the ice before lowering the bodies into the water. The bodies were usually wrapped in spare canvas with a cannonball placed on their chest and then sewn or wrapped up very tightly. Which I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah. Here's where it gets... Well, and I wonder if they've excavated these bodies. Like, we've gone kayaking in there. We sure have. (laughs) Cannonball people at the The bottom? The look she's giving me right now. I'm horrified. She is. Um... (laughs) This is where the story gets worse, though, because the captain of the Niagara made a choice to begin mercy killing the rest of the infected so that they wouldn't infect the healthy folks, I guess. Um, And they actually received the same treatment as their fellow sailors. Cannonball, canvas, wrapped or sewn up very tightly. (laughs) Into the ice you go. Through the ice, even though they were still alive. Yep. (gasps) How rude. (laughs) The things they... But to be fair, so in their defense... Presque Isle now is down a huge hill. Yeah. And it's a lot of forest. And again, it's surrounded by water because, you know, it's a peninsula. peninsula. Um, But back then it was all heavy forest. So there was no way they could get people in and out unless it was on a boat. Yeah. We're not just boating people around in the winter because that ain't happening. Right, exactly. We're going to drag people on sleds across the ice. Well, and then you risk infecting everybody. You know what I mean? The thing that. It was just a. Snake eating its tail. Nobody because, was like, winning. The the second the lake freezes, it's game fucking over. Well, like and so it doesn't freeze so much now because you know global warming is mm-hmm. a thing. But back in the day, it would freeze fucking solid where you could yeah. drive a car across it. Honestly, like, heavy duty frozen. Like you go for a drive around the peninsula, which is like my favorite place to go, and you just see huts. Yep, the ice all huts. Over. Everybody's <laughs> ice fishing. <laughs> I heard no. Now though, they have it made like little heaters and yeah, you can basically yeah. like take your mini you fridge have out a and whole just party. Party, <laughs> yes. I'm good. I'm no, good. I'll just party indoors. I'm gonna stay here. Thanks though. <laughs> um, so legend has it that these men, you know, the ones that were pissed off at being buried alive in the water, um, they haunt the area where they were laid to rest. Allegedly, in 1956, near the Perry Monument which is a big thing on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also is basically the gatekeeper to Misery Bay. Yes. That's the entrance to it. And by default, Graveyard Pond. Um, a man named Ted was enjoying a nice twilight bike ride illegally with his date. Uh, they were riding towards the shoreline of Misery Bay, and the sun was setting. So beautiful. Frogs <laughs> rolling in. All of a sudden, the couple felt as though they were being watched. They saw something move slightly within the fog, so they hid behind some brush, initially thinking it might be a park ranger there to, like, spoil the day, or evening, as it were. Uh, They watched as a solid human figure began to appear. It was wearing old and torn clothing. The figure walked towards them, but didn't seem aware that they were there hiding. Once the figure reached the center of the road, it turned in their direction, made a muffled moaning sound, and then poof. He was gone? Disappeared. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) 
this would be wild. Because, like, it gets, when the fog is, like, thick down there, like, it's real spooky. Oh, for sure. It's super creepy down there. And while I always knew that this was, like, there's no way that, like, we were involved in a war and, like, we came away from that without, like, some fucking ghosts. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, for sure. It's crazy. But you guys, like, this happened again, like, on the record in June of 2009, which was two years after I graduated high school. That's, so not, like, super long gross, ago. That's gross, but that's not even that long ago. Hey, yeah. I graduated. I'm 15. Oh, my 15-year high school reunion is this year. Ooh. I don't want to talk about it. Anyways, <laughs> a group had spent the day at Beach 11... And that is the beach that's nearest to Graveyard Pond. Now, isn't that the kite beach? I think so. That beach is where everybody goes to fly kites because it's, like, the flattest. And it has the... It's, like, on the tip of it, right, essentially? It's, it's on the end and then the woods are on... The woods and the ponds are right behind mm-hmm. it. So it gets really good winds. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you go drive by, you see everybody flying their kites. It's that's really true. cool. It's really neat. The peninsula is the best thing about Erie. Like, if you guys ever feel the need to, like, come here, like, just come see the peninsula and then go. <laughs> come in the summer, maybe early fall, because yeah. it's beautiful right now. Oh, it's with all the super pretty changing, right now. <laughs> but it's hella cold out right now. So, this is the same vibe, right? So, this group of people were hanging out. They were packing up their shit as the fog began to roll in. Ooh. And this group sees a transparent but slightly luminescent figure appear amid the fog. Some say it looked like a man wearing a bathrobe, but the majority of the group swears it was a sailor, fully dressed in what looked like a olden time uniform. Olden time. <laughs> this figure was walking around a bit, but then it disappeared back into the fog. Creepy. Super creepy. Um, there is actually a local paranormal researcher by the name of Bob Stoner. Love who has I know, right? <laughs> who actually has a disembodied voice on recording. Uh, he was working with an EVP recorder in and around Graveyard Pond and was actually able to hear something whisper, help us. Creepy. We also had confirmation from Joe Root himself. <laughs> I know. I loved this we part. We had to put it in. <laughs> um, he is Presque Isle's famous hermit. He's the one that lived on Presque Isle alone yeah. for however many years. For a very long time. Um, he claimed to have seen the apparitions and was sure that it was the spirits of the dead sailors who were looking to get revenge on the living for abandoning them before their time. Which, I mean, if you've got that's a reason fair. to haunt somebody, that's <laughs> going to be it. Um, it certainly doesn't help that Misery Bay is the location where Commodore Perry intentionally sunk many of his ships. They were either damaged or he didn't want to tow them. or Yeah. So they, for any reason yeah, here, really. Just dump it in the river. Well, I didn't realize that there was, like, a whole thing about, like, ships getting sunk and, like, yeah. getting raised and, like, all the things. Like, I don't understand. The Niagara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that, like, what the whole tall ships thing is, like, focused around, right? I think so. I don't know. I will admit my ignorance in this regard. I don't like crowds. I don't like people. So I don't fuck with a lot of stuff that happens locally unless it's something that, like, is really piques my interest which ships i'm not into well apparently the niagara was sunk in misery bay it was raised for like the hundred year anniversary shipped to philadelphia caught on fire they brought back like some bits and pieces and just left it decaying on erie's bayfront Uh And then they decided in the 90s to build a replica. So technically, the Brig Niagara that we know today... Is a replica. Is a replica. I have been on it. Yes. I went 
school, field trips, all that well, good stuff. the museum and the Maritime Museum. So, I yeah. got to be on boats and do all kinds of weird shit in college, which... <laughs> Was fun, but yeah. I'm like, what in the Sam Hill? <laughs> um, I just have one little more legend to sneak in. It's something that my friend Ling reminded me of um, at work. She mentioned Gravity Hill out in Northeast. Okay. So supposedly if you put your car in neutral at a certain spot in the road, it will actually go up the hill. Oh, she told me about this before. Rather than down. Yeah. She also told me that allegedly the rumor, the, the legend behind it, is a car full of teenagers had stalled out on a curve in the middle of the road, which is where you would want to put your car in neutral. Um, a, another car came flying around the bend and killed all of the teens, <gasps> mangled up the car. Oh, shit. So they say that when you put your car in neutral, it's the ghosts of the children, the teens, that will push your push your car up the hill and to safety. Oh, shit. Right? But I haven't had time to research it yet. Yeah. But still, we might do that in a don't yeah. drink with strangers, just mm-hmm. as little... I know that there, when I lived with Shyla, um, hey girl, we got her into Ghost Adventures, and we started watching that all the time together, Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there is another legend somewhere in the U.S. that has that same vibe, like, if you go through a certain bridge or a certain point, there will be handprints on the back of your car. Oh, like they're hoping you get through it? Yeah. I think they... They either, like, debunked it, quote-unquote, or they didn't experience it, because they put flour on the back of a car, and, like, nothing happened. Oh. But... Well, I think if they know that you're trying to catch them, they're not going to Exactly. Go for it. Ghosts aren't stupid just because they're oh, dead. Shit. Jeez. So rude. But, yeah, I'm going to have to... Re- my, my cousin, Kim, did mention that basically every city... In, yeah. in anywhere has rumors like this. She's got one down in York, PA, that's about vampires or witches. Well, and I think, too, that that just speaks to... So, like, you know, we wanted to give you guys a little kind of ghost tour of the place that we call home. Erie's a pretty interesting place. And it is. You guys, if you are from the States, or even not from the States, like, honestly, like, some bad shit has happened here also that has gotten us into, like, international news. It's true. And... You know, this is some place that we've grown to appreciate a little bit more as we've gotten older. And now that we have a little bit of a platform and a little bit of a voice, we wanted to show you guys that there's some cool things about where we live also. It's true. And I think that's just part of, like, growing up in a more, like, agricultural state and area. Like, I'm sure, like, people in the Midwest probably have all sorts of stories like this. Like, uh, the only thing that I can think of is Pennsylvania is one of the original 13 colonies. Philadelphia. We do have a lot of, granted, we weren't settled up here until later, but still, like, we have a lot of history here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And And I think it's very interesting. A lot of time to talk about tales and spin them into (laughs) legends and spooky stories. Because, like, Erie is very boring if you're not of legal age to drink. It's true. So there's that also. It's true. Because what's really cool about us as a city now is that we're embracing our history and we are really leaning into a lot of, lo- there's so much local good food, mm-hmm. so many local good breweries and distilleries and wineries, wineries and all sorts of shit. There's so many cool places. Like you guys have heard us talk about Cauldron and Thorn a million times at this point. Like Wine Fest, any of the wineries yeah. out in Northeast. Grasshopper is a super cool place for like all of your hippie vibe needs. Well, like, like we mentioned, we're big into Ironstone Meadery. Mm-hmm. They are our jam. 
Six Mile Winery is another place that we were drinking a little bit earlier. We were very stressed. It's been when a When we got home. It's <laughs> from, true. From getting stranded in the cemetery. So we cracked open a Derby Sangria from Six Mile Cellars. So honestly, guys, we just wanted to do a little something different, too. Well, a little more lighthearted. Yeah. The true crime genre is a little bit... It's very controversial in and of itself. And Susan and I just wanted to kind of take a moment to breathe and do something fun and do something spooky for Halloween. Well, and again, these are all rumors that we grew up with. Yeah. Murder Hollow, Gudgeonville. Mm -hmm. I knew about Misery Bay. I didn't know about aliens, but now that I do, I'm intrigued. Right? I'm interested. And it's all things that as I've gotten older, coming out of the religious fog and all that kind of stuff, I really appreciate so much more. So... We just wanted to give you guys a little taste of where we are from. Hopefully you like it. We really appreciate you guys spending some time hanging out with us and listening. And we just appreciate you guys so much. So, so much. So, a little bit of business before we wrap up. As we do. You can follow the podcast on social media at Crime and Spirits Pod on Instagram and Facebook. That is and the word, not the appersand. On Twitter, it's at Crime Spirits Pod. We post the drink recipes there and some pictures that are relevant to the cases that we're working on. We are going to totally spam you guys with all sorts of pictures. It's true. Since we can actually, since we have the opportunity to go and like take pictures ourselves, we've got a couple fun things planned for the rest of October. We're going to do the Collar Bomber, which yes. is local to our area. And well, everybody... If you haven't heard of Marjorie Deal Armstrong, watch You're... watch the documentary on Netflix. It will give you yeah. the shudders. <laughs> or hang out and wait. We're going to cover true. that next. We'll talk about it. <laughs> um, if you guys are interested in us as individuals, uh, you can follow us on Instagram. I am at Brie, B-R-E-E, underscore, not the cheese. And I'm just at Suze, not Susan. And last but not least, you guys, if you could please consider giving us a rating or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever please. your preferred platform is. We'd appreciate it'll it. It'll really help us get found more organically. And most importantly, like, we'd really love to hear from you. It's true. Anytime you have feedback, good or bad, if yeah. it's constructive, we're willing to listen. Don't I mean, I'll me. listen to it either way, but I might not. I might not like it. <laughs> either way, we love you guys. Thank you so, so, so much. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.